Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Good morning, church. Man, it is, it is good to be with you this morning. I'm excited about where we're going this morning, this summer. If you've been with us any this summer, you know that we have been walking through the book of Ephesians. And so the first few chapters, we have spent some time in those over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Pastor Brian started us off at the beginning of the summer. Pastor Matt uh, did two and three with us last week, did three with us. And uh, we've had a, a beautiful time walking through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Today, I want to kind of share a message that I've entitled, uh, The Gospel Changes Everything. And I've gotten that from the scripture today as we dig into Ephesians chapter 4. As we get into Ephesians chapter 4, what you're going to see is there's a little bit of a shift in the conversation that's taking place here. Paul has been writing to the church of Ephesus, and in the first three chapters, as many times we've already heard, these first three chapters are talking about what it means to know God. It's all these examples and all these these biblical contexts of what it means to truly know him as our savior, to know him for who he is, what he has done for us. And then you get into chapter four and very quickly, what we see is just a shift in the conversation because all of a sudden in chapter four, it goes from knowing God to now how are we to live for God? And you're going to see that through the, the latter part of the chapters as well. The last three chapters are going to focus on the action of living for God. Not just the knowing, but now we're getting into the living for God. And that there's change that has happened when you know God. Because what we all know is this. If God is in it, change is going to happen. If God is in anything that we do, change will happen. And so for today, as we dig into this, I want us to be very careful that we don't just look for change, but that today that we're equipped with an understanding of what it means to live as one that has been changed. To live in such a way that when people see us, they see the gospel of Jesus in and through our lives. Because that is exactly what Paul is trying to communicate to the church here. Is that life changes happen. You know God, now live it. In Ephesians chapter 4, he starts the chapter off very quickly getting to that point. He says in verse 1, he says, as a prisoner of the Lord. He says, I urge you. He says, I want you to understand this is extremely important when he says the word urge. Anytime you see the word urge, it is one of those like kind of elbows of like, hey, I need you to get this done. You know what it means. And there's a sense of urgency in the midst of anything. And he says, I urge you. He says, live a life worthy. Let me stop there for just a second because I want it to be able to just sink in for a second what it means. And Paul is looking and he is saying to the church, I am challenging you. I am urging you now that you know Jesus, now that you know of his forgiveness, now that you know of his salvation, you know of the life change that happens because of him, you know the gospel truth. Live a life that is worthy. But not just worthy of whatever we want it to be, but worthy of the calling that you have received. 
He says, live a life that is worthy of the calling. See, many of us today, we live our lives in such a way that we measure up to the worth of the world and not the worth of God's word. Let me say that again, just in case I said that a little too fast. Many times you and I and people in our, our, our circles, we measure our worth by the measurement of the worth of this world and not by the measurement and the worth of God's word. We live by this understanding that if I can just do enough, my net worth is going to make a difference. If I can make enough, if I can accomplish enough, that that is going to make me worth something. When in return, the world continually just devalues that worth because that worth is something that will never measure up to the gospel. And so Paul is very clear to say, I want you to live a life worthy, not of what the world measures up as worthy, but I want you to live a life that is worthy of the calling of the gospel that has been placed on you. The assignment that God has placed on you at where you are at, that you would live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. When I was reading that verse, it reminded me of a story that I'd heard a while back. It was a story of a father who had given his son a pocket watch. It was a heirloom that had been passed down from generation to generation. And at his son's graduation, he handed it on to his son, the father did. He says, son, I want to give you this, but I want you to do something with it for me. Son says, what is that? He says, I want you to take this watch. He said, I want you to take it to the jeweler. I want you to ask him what he'll give you for it. What is it worth? Ask him what he'll give it to you, give it for you. And so he goes to the jeweler and as he gets to the jeweler, he says, hey, my, my father sent me to bring you this watch to tell me what it's worth. What, what kind of money would you give me for this? And his father or the, the, the jeweler looks at him and he says, well, it's worth about $150. It's old. So I'll give you 150 for it. He goes, okay, well, he goes back home and he, he tells his father, he says, dad, I took the watch to the jeweler. He said it was worth about $150. He said, okay, son, I want you to do something else now. I want you to take that same watch that I gave you. that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And I want you to take that watch and I want you to take it to the pawn shop. And I want you to go to the owner of the pawn shop and ask him, what is this Pocket watch, what is it worth? What would you give me for it? And so he does exactly as his father says and he goes to the pawn store and he looks at him and says, hey, I've, I've come to ask what you would give me for this watch. What is it worth? He looks at it. He says, well, son, it doesn't work and it's old. I'll give you $10. So he goes back home a second time and he looks at his dad and he says, dad, the pawn store only said they'd give me $10 for it. So he's getting a little discouraged. He's like, I didn't really get a nice gift, right? This is like supposed to be a good gift that's given down to me, right? And so his dad looks at him one more time and he says, son, I want you to do one more favor for me. He said, I want you to go to the museum down the road. 
And I want you to ask for the curator. I know him very well. And I want you to ask him, what is it worth? Now, a curator is someone that, that shows value in something of antiquity. And so he goes there to the museum. He asks for the curator and he says, hey, my father sent me. He says he knows you very well. And he asked me to show you this pocket watch and to ask you what it is worth. He said, son, this watch is very old. He said, it does not work. He said, but it is worth $550,000. At that point in time, the kid is just astounded. He's like, oh my gosh, I got this watch that's worth $550,000. He runs home and he tells his dad, he says, dad, you're not going to believe it. He said, the curator said, this thing is valuable. He said, he said he would give us $550,000 for it. The father then looks at the son and he says, I want you to understand something here, son. This watch has been passed down from generation to generation. And he said, if you didn't know the worth of the value of this thing, you would have sold it for $10. He said, if you didn't know the worth or value of it, you'd have sold it for $150. But you know the worth and the value of it now. See, the world tries to define our worth and our value all the time. And many times we give in to the $10 bid that's thrown at us. Many times we find our worth in these things and we don't understand the worth of the calling that God has placed on us and we sell out on little bitty things that are not worth what God has created us to be worth. We sell out and we give in to the value of the things of this world and what they say is worthy and the world has devalued the worth of our own lives but God says you are valuable and the gospel that I have given you is priceless. So he says, so live a life worthy of that calling. Live as though the gospel has really changed your life. Not like everyone else. Not just like the rest of the world. But if the gospel is a part of your life, live a life that is worthy of that calling. And then Paul goes on from there as he, as he gets into a little bit part of the, the verses. He gets into verse two and he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Patience is something I know that I've got to work on. Some of us in this room, we've got to work on some patience. But he says, be patient. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all. What does he say here? He looks at him and he says, I need you to understand you are worthy of something. You have a calling that is a gospel that has been given to you. Now I need you to take that gospel church and I need you to unite together and let's work together in this. Now that right there is where in the world we live in today that we may be struggling a little bit, right? Sometimes within the church and amongst other churches, there is a little bit of bickering and complaining that is going on. And instead of uniting, we're fighting. Instead of even inside of the church sometimes, we're very quick to jump on the negative. Oh, that wasn't my favorite song. Why did they not play that song for me? I just don't like that. Man, that message, I can't wait till Pastor Matt gets back. Well, guess what? He'll be back in a couple of weeks. You can listen to him then. But today you got me. But the, there's so many times, it just wasn't, you know, I just didn't get anything out of it. And we start bickering and we start complaining. And it's real quick. Are we to start to share the negatives? 
You know, I've never gone on Yelp and looked at a review of a hotel and seen more positives than negatives. If anything, I always see negatives because people are very quick to hide it behind the keyboard and tell you everything that's wrong. In the church, that happens as well. In the church, that happens so much that the unifying of the scriptures and the unifying of the church should be one in the same purpose, and that is to carry the gospel out into this world and to stop fighting and complaining over things that are not important. C.S. Lewis, among his writings, wrote a series of articles for a newspaper. This compilation of these articles was called the Screw Tape Letters. If you've never read them, man, I encourage you to get them. They are good. They're solid. But one of them that he wrote, he wrote in one scene, there was a junior devil. Like, you know, he's plotting how to hook victims. And the senior devil tells him not to work too hard. And this is what he says. He says, our plan is to create so much noise in the world that man can no longer hear the voice of God. See, the body is surrounded by a whole lot of noise in this world that's telling us all these things of worth. And if we're not careful as a body, if we don't unify as one living for one calling, one understanding, one gospel, and understanding that Jesus is the reason that you and I are here today to worship. It ain't about the song. It ain't about the message. It's about the king. If we don't unify, we're just going to fall into the background noise. And this world's loud enough. So instead, we need to step up and understand that we can hear the voice of God that we can proclaim the name of God. Too long have you and I allowed this world to live rent-free in our mind and cost us so much. We've allowed it to define our anxieties, our stresses, our depressions. We've allowed it to build those things into us. It's allowed us to define our trajectory of where we're going. And we've allowed the world to live rent-free in our minds. But our battle is not that. Our battle is that we are to fight and to carry the gospel, unified as one body. And that is what Paul is saying. But he doesn't stop there. That's the beauty of it. He says, I want you to live a life that's worthy, but you're going to have to unite together because you're one body of believers in order to do that. But at the same time, in the midst of that moment of you uniting as a body, what's really cool about this is God says, I'm not going to send you out alone. I'm going to send you out with some gifts, man. I'm going to give you some spiritual gifts, some gifts that are going to, that you're going to use to make sure that lives are being changed. Because I truly believe that God is giving spiritual gifts that will change people's lives. I don't think God gave you a spiritual gift just to use and to put in your back pocket and to do it somewhere else. No, I truly believe that God gave you a spiritual gift as a follower of Christ to change lives, to use it for his glory, to use it for his gospel's sake. But the problem is many of us ask the question like, how do I know my spiritual gift, right? Like we get into this scripture and we start digging into Ephesians 4 and it talks about all these spiritual gifts and it starts talking about that we should have these and we should live in these. And some of us are like, well, I'll just take like a spiritual gift survey. Now, now, no, no like negative on a spiritual gift survey. Okay, I've taken a couple in my life, um, <clears throat> but I'm afraid some of them weren't right because some of them were like, you got mercy. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Like, oh, yeah, your spiritual gift is like organization administration. No, I hire people for that. I got two amazing ladies, three amazing ladies on my staff that make things go a lot better than I ever would. 
because they're much more organized than I am. That ain't my spiritual gift, but I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's, that's what it told me. So I'm a little bit tainted by those, the surveys. And, and I understand surveys are only as good as the data in which you put in them. And so that's the reason why sometimes they come back that way because I really want to be good at that. So I just kind of lied in that thing. Like, oh yeah, I'm good at this. Because, you know, nobody answers the questions going, no, I stink at this. No, we really want to go, well, I'm kind of like in the middle, right? And before we know it, we've skewed the whole thing. And that's why it's like, you're merciful. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Ask my family. Um, I'm not. You know, that's, that's not my thing. But J.D. Greer actually gives an amazing formula that I want to share with you this morning that I think really is a powerful way to find our spiritual gifts, And to use exactly what Paul is talking about, how we're to take our spiritual gifts and to use them to carry the gospel, to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And he says this, and I love this, and I want to show it to you visually. It's going to come up on the screen. There's there's a circle that it starts with that we are to live in. The first circle is our ability. Now, our ability is, is to look for what you are good at, man. Let me tell you something. You know what you're good at. You do. You know that thing that comes natural to you. You don't have to work real hard at it or, or it's something that, man, that is, just, you're just good at it. And people even acknowledge that about it. Well, that's what he says. He says, start out in that bubble. You want to find that spiritual gift? Let's start out in that thing you're good at. Let's look at that. How can we take what we're good at and how can we use that? Let's take that for a moment. Let's see where that defines us as a believer. But he says, don't stop there. Let's look at what we care about, which is our affinity. So take your ability and your affinity and cross them over a little bit. So you're good at something and you care about something. We know what you care about. We know what you care about because you talk about it. You show it. You wear it. We know what you like. Sometimes we know what you don't like, at least in my household. I'm not going to talk about who because she'd get mad at me. But I will say this. I've had to look multiple times at people in my family and go, I need you to fix your face because I can tell you don't care about that. I'm a pastor. I kind of need you to help me out here. And that's like a saying in our household is like, fix your face, right? Because it's one of those moments when someone says something we don't like, our face starts to show it. Why? Because we know what we care about. Can't hide it. Can't hide that. So you take what you're good at and you take what you care about, you start to cross those two over, you look at those. You need to start thinking about those things. What am I good at? What do I care about? How can I use those two intermingled into one to make a difference? Somewhere in the midst of that, there's there's a gift that God has given me because he gave me a reason to care about it. He gave me a reason to be good at it. But then there's one more circle and it's listening to what others say you're good at or what you're gifted at, and it's called affirmation. Let me sit in that for just a second. Church, can we do a better job of affirming people? And I, don't, don't take this worldly. I'm not talking about affirming identities or affirming people's lifestyles or affirming. No, I'm talking about affirming the things that God is doing through someone's life. Like looking at someone and going, man, you're very good at singing. Man. You are so good at teaching. God has blessed you with that. Man, I saw how when you were on the field coaching the other day, those, those kids, and they're running everywhere because they're a bunch of T-ballers and they don't even know where the, the right hand is from the left hand and they're chasing the ball over here, but you're asking them to go over here and you're not losing your cool. You're good at that, man. 
And just affirming those moments that God could use them to be amazing. Thanks for his glory. Or maybe in a, even in a business meeting when things are kind of going the wrong way and that person sits back and they're able just to stay in a moment of calmness and speak truth in the moments of that. That we could look at them and go, you know what? That was good. And just celebrating. Like I feel like as a church, we need to celebrate more the victories that God has done. We celebrated a little bit of that earlier with Guatemala. The lives that are being changed. We celebrate the fact that people are going to be going back again. But man, let's, let's find that moment of affirming. And somewhere in the midst of that ability, that affinity, and that affirmation, we look in the middle and where all of them cross is that spiritual gift or gifts that God has blessed us with, that God has given us, that he identifies for us that because we are united in the body, he has told us it is our gift to use for his glory's sake, not for our sake. And so for some of us, our gift is serving. So let us serve well. And we got guys that stand at the door and they welcome you. Affirm them. Thank you so much for doing that. But they serve, why? Because that's their gift. You got some guys that walk the aisles and they sit you down and you hate them because they sit you on the front row because you were late. But they're serving, man. They're doing what God's called them to do. You got some that are discernment, some that are teaching, some that are leadership, some that are administrative, some that are mercy. And they're living in those moments. Why? Because the gospel changed their life. Because Jesus changed their life. But he doesn't stop there. Paul continues on. He says, hey, here's where you need to find some of those moments. Find somewhere in the middle of that. There's a gifting that God has given you. Use it to, to, to glorify his name. And he says this though in Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 12. He says, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And this is what changed my life. He said, to equip his people for the work of the service so that the body of Christ may be built up. See, some are called to be pastors and teachers. I was called to be a pastor at about 18 years old. Stepped into a church very soon after. I knew that's what I was supposed to do. But I learned very quickly that I was not supposed to be the one that does it all. But my job and my responsibility and my gifting was to equip. So that when we equip in here, it doesn't stay in here. That what happens in this room goes outside of these walls. When we talk about the gospel in here, that is just equipping you with the opportunity to go out and share the gospel out there. If it just stays in here, we've missed the mark. If you just come in here on Sunday and you're like, oh, praise you, Lord. It was so good. Man, I felt it. I was dancing. I was excited. I was lifting my hands. I was screaming. I was having a good time. I was amen in the message. That's good. I was amen in the message. I was doing all that kind of stuff, having a good time. I was in the word. And then you walk out of here and nothing happens. You miss the mark. Why? Because you didn't take the equipment that was given to you. To use it. To carry the gospel into this world. Ministry is meant to happen outside of these walls. Not that it can't happen here because it does. Lives are changed in this room. Lives are changed in this place. But this place is not the only place. Those walls, outside those walls, is where life change, where the gospel is supposed to be present because you and I take it out there. And the reason why we take it out there is because we understand that you are God's plan A. 
for sharing the gospel. You're not his backup plan. It wasn't like there was like a oops moment where he was like, well, I guess I'll use these guys. I mean, I feel like that sometimes when I'm in ministry. I'm like, why, why me, Lord? Like, was there not someone else that you could have used? And he goes, no, no, no. You are equipped with the gospel. You are the plan to share the gospel. I sent my son to die for you, to show you forgiveness, to save you from sin, to wipe the slate clean, to provide a gospel for you so that you, my plan A, could go out and share this gospel. In Ephesians 3, I'm gonna step back into chapter three for just a second. Paul says this in verse seven, he says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. He says, I'm a servant of this gospel. It was a gift given to me and I'm supposed to take it out through his power and use it. He says in verse 10, his intent, God's intent was that now through the church, the unifying of the body, the church, you and I, as you hear today, that the manifold of wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. You were given the equipment to go and share the gospel. You were given the gospel through the power of Jesus to take it out and to share it. You were given the gifts to use, to share the gospel. Why? Because the gospel changed your life. Charles Stanley, when he was in his ministry on earth here, he says this, he says, God's plan for enlarging his kingdom is so simple. He says, one person telling another about the Savior, yet we're busy and full of excuses. Just remember, someone's eternal destiny is at stake. And the joy you'll have when you meet that person in heaven will far exceed any discomfort you felt in sharing the gospel. See, you and I are called to live like the gospel has changed your life. It's changed you forever. It's wrecked it. You're no longer the same. And so Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 17, he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live like the Gentiles. Now, when he uses the word Gentiles, he's basically referring to the unsaved people. And so we look at this verse and we go, he says, you must no longer live like the world, like the unsaved. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their heart. It says they've been separated from the life of God. They've lost all sensitivity and they've given into sensuality. Why? Because they've fallen into this lie and we are not to be like that any longer. We are not to live in that realm any longer. We're to step out of that realm. Hey, today I'm wearing a pair of Reebok pumps. Some of you guys in the room know what Reebok pumps, all right? They're, uh, you couldn't afford Jordan, so you got Reeboks. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I, I got a pair of Reebok pumps, man. I was so excited about them. I'd seen all the commercials. Some of you guys in, your, in here, you're nodding your head. You know where I'm going with this, right? I thought when I got these Reeboks, man, I was going to be able to hoop. I did. I thought, man, I'm going to get these things. I'm going to pick, 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 pick these little things up, little airbags in my feet. It's going to make me fly. And then when I get tired, I'm just like, hit that little side button, lets all the air back out, right? 
So those things were, man, they were going to help me hoop. They were going to help me maybe be a basketball player. I was going to be in it. And I remember thinking, man, these things are everything I've ever wanted. Now, if you know anything about me, I've said this before. I was kind of a four by four kid. Wasn't really an athletic type individual. You'll get that joke at lunch. Um, but uh, I wasn't the most athletic individual. But I, I assumed because of the commercials, because of this, this thing that I could buy, which was like a, like a cheaper version of the Jordans, that I could buy them, I could use them, and they were going to make me something. From an outwardly appearance, I thought that. What happened, though, when I was in eighth grade, um, I, I, when I had them, I, I got into an accident wearing them, and I, I ended up having to get stitches in my leg and ruined them. Ruined the shoes. I hated it. I was like, man, I messed up my, my pumps, man. I can't even have them anymore. Thought I was the coolest kid around. And so what happens when I became an adult, I realized that when you become an adult, there's a point in time as an adult, you can buy your own Christmas presents. Um, you, you don't need other people to buy them for you. You want it, you buy it, right? So last year I decided I'm going to find me some Reebok pumps. I, so I was like, I've been wanting some pumps since I was in eighth grade. Maybe I thought that if I wore them, I'd be a better pastor. I don't know. I just thought something about them. I was like, I'm going to get them. So I found the Reebok pumps just so you know, they're still not very expensive. They're really relatively cheap. Um, but I, I got them and, and I remember thinking, man, these are so cool. I loved them. I remember when I was a kid that I loved them. But what happened when I was a kid is I fell into this understanding that if I could put something on the outside, that it would make me something that would change the inside. But it didn't. See, a lot of us will sit in here today and we'll put something on the outside. We'll, we'll, we'll put this whole understanding that, oh yeah, the gospel feels great. It feels good. I, I want to wear the gospel on me. I want to I represent the gospel. It's going to make me fly, right? It's going to make me whatever I need to do. I'm going to be able to hoop. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But the reality is unless it's from the inside, it ain't changing nothing. So that's why Paul real quickly said, don't keep falling into the things of this world. Stop just fixing the outside, people, and fix the inside. Stop drawing a line and going, how close can I get to sin before I'm in trouble? No, quit drawing the line. And stay away from it. Don't see how close we can get before we fail. Look at God and go, God, I know that I'm going to fail today. So I'm asking you right now just to go ahead and take that failure away right now so that I can do what you want me to do. Because if it's on me, I'm going to fail. So don't draw the line, Lord. Let me get away from it. I want to walk with you. Because I don't want an external gospel. I want an internal gospel because that internal gospel is what's changing my life. But how do I live this way? I love that Paul continues on and says this. He says right here in Ephesians chapter four and verse 20, he says that in order for us to live this way, we got to have a renewed heart. Man, our heart has to be changed. It can't be just external. It's got to be an internal heart change. The gospel has to really impact our heart. And he says in Ephesians four and verse 20 through 21, that however, it is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in, the, in Jesus. He says, you want to have a renewed heart, you need to spend time in the truth. People ask me all the time, how, how, how do you hear God? I mean, I, I've never heard him audibly, but I can tell you this. I hear him in his word. I hear him in his word. Now, I know people that say they feel like they've heard God audibly. I believe he can still speak truth audibly to us. I think he's the same God of the Old Testament that he is of the New Testament that he is of today. So if he could do it, then he can do it now. 
But I also believe with all my heart that he also gave me the word, the truth, so that I could dig into it, where I could find the truth, that I could hear his voice, that I could understand his truth, because the truth is found in the word of God. And I need you to understand something today. The truth that I'm talking about that's found in the word of God, it is not relative to society today. It is absolute It is not changing, it is not evolving, it is not tolerant, it is not a feeling, it is not an emotion. It is truth, the gospel that lives with inside of me, that that changes your heart, that Christ provides, is a truth that does not change just because it feels right. Instead, in John 14, verse six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. Though that doesn't feel good, man. I don't care if it feels good because the truth isn't about a feeling. The truth is about an absolute. And Jesus says very clearly, I'm the way. If I knew that and I believed that and that's changed my heart, why am I not telling my neighbors? Why am I not telling my coworkers this? Why am I not telling my waitress today? Why am I not telling people I encounter today that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life? Why am I not posting that on social media? Why am I not walking around knowing that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus and that gospel has changed my life? And so I need to share that with somebody. I need to live that out because that's the truth. In John chapter eight and verse 31 and 32, it says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What's it setting me free from? From the bondage of sin, from the expectations of this world that I will never live up to. It is setting me free from those things so that I can live faithfully for Jesus. And then John 17, 17 says, the word is truth. Can I please help you understand this morning that if in any way there's a truth, there's a way, that there's a life, and his name is Jesus, and if you settle for anything else than that truth, you are settling for a cheap imitation of a truth that will never set you free. You know, I was, as I was studying this, I came across an article, a document by the Center of Bible Engagement. They had a, compiled some extensive research. Lifeway kind of took that, they titled it, and they titled the document, Understanding the Bible Engagement Challenge. And it said, Scientific Evidence for the Power of Four. In this study, what they found was this. They, they, they polled 40,000 people from the ages of 8 to 80. And this is what they found out in their polling about people reading Scripture and how it was impacting their lives. It said that one time a week, which could include kind of like this moment, right? Like a lot of times we, we spend the time in the Word here because someone, a pastor or somebody tells you to open the Word, right? One time a week, you spend time in the Word. You open your Bibles. It says that there's really no neg- negligible effect. R- really doesn't change you too much. If this is the only time you spend time in the Word, there's probably not gonna be a lot of change seen in your life is what the research shows here. The same result was true if you engage in Scripture just two times a week. The results were equal to little of no effect in people's lives. Three times a week, saw a small indication of life, maybe a little heartbeat of something, maybe a little bit of inclination here and there. Like, you know, maybe scripture is a little bit kind of, uh, okay, I thought about that this time, three times. So you're like a Sunday or a Wednesday, you showed up for a Bible study on a Thursday. Three times a week, nothing, nothing crazy, nothing radical, but four times a week, they said when they saw 
people that engaged in the scripture four times a week, it was eye-opening. And this is what they found. That there was a spike, a stunning spike in change. Feeling lonely dropped by 30%. Anger issues dropped by 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped by 40%. Alcoholism dropped by 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped by 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped by 60%. Viewing pornography dropped by 61%. Sharing your faith jumped by 200%. Discipling others jumped by 230% because you spent time in the word four times. Just imagine me what would happen if we went five, six, and seven times. The change that happens from being in the word by being equipped with the word, by carrying the gospel, astronomically changes with just four is what the research shows. It's a renewed heart. The truth renews our heart, not just our physical. But then he goes on, Paul goes on, he doesn't stop there with just that, he says a renewed mind. In Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, he says you were taught with regard to your formal way of life to put off your old self, which is better, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says the way that you think is changed by your heart. So your heart is renewed, therefore your mind is being renewed at that moment in time. It is no longer focusing on the things of this world, but in the midst of those moments, it starts to shift and intertwine with the things and the calling of God that has been placed on our life so that we can live a life worthy of the calling. Actually, this verse in Ephesians is a parallel to Romans chapter 12. Paul is kind of referring back to Romans 12 and verse 2 where it says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, the coolest part about this whole verse is, is that when we see the transformation in our mind, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And it is good. And it is pleasing. And it is perfect. His gospel is good. It is pleasing. It is perfect. And it says when we have that renewing in our mind and we focus on those things, it changes everything about us. Philippians 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's holy, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what gospel change looks like. A renewed mind. But then he goes on and he says a renewed soul. So you got a renewed heart, you want gospel change, renewed heart, renewed mind, renewed soul. And he says, this is what gospel change looks like, is what Paul says. Ephesians 4 and verse 29, he says, do not let anyone, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Guys, sit on that for a second. 
We shouldn't sound like the world when we talk. This is a manner of life. This is how we conduct ourselves because the gospel has changed even our vocabulary. The gospel has changed the way we talk with others. It is a manner. Our Sunday gospel has become our Monday gospel. It has become our Tuesday gospel, our Wednesday gospel, our Thursday gospel. It's not just what happens in this room, but because our life has radically been changed, our soul has been changed, our talk has been changed. And it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. He says, hey, when your soul has been changed, your mouth has been changed. But not only that, you now understand what it means to love others. You understand what it means to be compassionate to one another and to forgive each other. Because Christ forgave us when we didn't deserve it. And he says, hey, you start to live that. You start to live this life that is worthy of a calling that has been placed on you, that you have received, that came from the gospel that changed your life forever. Guys, can we please walk out of this place today looking, sounding, smelling, talking different than when we walked in? Why? Because the gospel changed us. Too many Sundays do we come in here and just leave. God calls for gospel change because that's what's gonna change this world. Which is why he gives us the greatest commandment when he's asked what is the greatest commandment in Matthew 22 and verse 37 through 39. He says the greatest commandment is this. He says love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul. And with all your mind. Right? We're going to live gospel change. We're going to have a renewed heart. A new mind. And a renewed soul that's all found in loving God. But then he doesn't end there and he says, but the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. Be compassionate. Be forgiving. Share the gospel. Live a life worthy of the calling. Don't sell out. Don't sell out. This gospel's too good. So live a life worthy of the calling. Hey, that's my challenge to you today. Is that we would live as though the gospel has truly changed us. That we would live as though, man, this Jesus that we talk about is not just someone that we put on a shirt or that we sing about on a Sunday, but that he is the same God that brought us a gospel on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. So may you live as though the gospel has changed you today. Hey, I'm gonna step over here on the side. We've got a next steps area. Maybe you're here today and you're like, hey, I've, I've never really received this gospel. I'd love, I mean, it would be an honor for me to get a chance to spend some time with you or, or one of our deacons that'll be over here as well. We'd love to have a chance to pray with you, talk with you, help you understand this gospel. But maybe you're in this room today as well and you're just like, I just, I just need some prayer. Man, I had the blessing and honor of praying with someone earlier. It's just was struggling because he had family members that didn't know Jesus. And I had the honor just to pray over those family members. And we'd love to pray with you for whatever you're going through. That's what the next steps is about. So I'll be over there if you need anything. But let's now continue in worship. Let's go to the Lord and let's praise his name. Let's honor him in this time. Okay, I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna step in that. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this, this truth, for this word. Thank you for the gospel. 
God, may we live as though it's truly changed us. May we live in a way that brings glory to your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com slash next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.